But as I'm praying for you, I also want to be modeling for you. When, when you're helping someone else learn how to pray, this is a great, great way to pray, okay? So, so let's pray. Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Reading through Revelation this week, we saw you that you are holy, holy, holy. That's who you are. You are the Lord God Almighty. You are the one who was and is and is to come. You're eternal. And we praise you that you're our creator and that you're our savior and you're worthy of our praise. And we confess our sins. We read this week that you don't like it when people are lukewarm. Oh, Lord, forgive us for being lukewarm. And, Lord, you don't like it when your people lose, leave their first love. Lord, we confess that way too quickly we lose our first love. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of our many sins. And as you forgive us, help us. Help us to forgive others. Lord, we thank you that long before we chose us, you chose us. And long before we loved us, you loved us. And Jesus, thank you for coming and, and purchasing us and living and dying and rising for us. And thank you for drawing us to yourself. And thank you for giving us your spirit. And thank you for promising to finish what you've started. And thank you for food to eat and homes to live in and a time to be together. And oh, we pray we're a needy people. You know our needs, and we pray that you would meet our needs as you know them. We pray as your word is open that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh and, and lost would be won to you and believers would be built. And, and Lord, that equippers, workers would be equipped and disciple makers would be multiplied. Lord, reading in your word, we read that when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would fall fresh on us and we would be shaken in this service today. And as we leave, that we would speak your word with boldness. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've been, if you've been here a long time, you know what I have in my hands. If you're new, you probably don't. What is this? It's a, thank you, it's a baloney detector. Every disciple maker needs a baloney detector. It's, it's, it's really a truth detector, but I call it a baloney detector. We need something inside of us that when we hear things that aren't true, it goes off and we know that's not true, right? Every Christian needs a well-programmed baloney detector that goes off every time we hear something that's not true. And so what I want you to do today is I want you to get out your baloney detector and I'm going to program it for you because it needs to be well-programmed, okay? And here's how I'm going to program your baloney detector. I'm going to program it with the gospel. What I'm going to build into your baloney detector is that the gospel includes bad news. There's some bad news in the gospel and it includes good news. And then the gospel also includes our response, our response. And, and here's why that's so important. We're walking through 2 Peter, and, and our purpose is to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. And what Peter wants us to know, in a hostile culture, there's a lot of false teachers in the culture and in the church. And the only way we'll spot them is when we have a well-programmed baloney detector, okay? Okay. 
That's why it's so important we understand that the gospel includes bad news. It includes good news, and it includes our response. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, and let me set it up a little bit. Previously, previously on 2 Peter, when we left off, we learned that the Bible is the Word of God. We learned that, the, that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We learned last week that the Bible smells like Jesus. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, as we begin, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. So what do we counterfeit? We counterfeit valuable things, don't we? Does anybody counterfeit sand? Do they, you know why they don't counterfeit sand? Why? Because it's not valuable. What, there's plenty of it. But things that are precious like, uh, like money or diamonds or ladies' purses, then you have what people who counterfeit them. There is nothing more valuable in the world than God's word, and so we shouldn't be surprised that our enemy counterfeits that with false teachers. And so Peter is saying, be careful because there were false prophets in the Old Testament and there will be false teachers in the New who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. <laughs> Don't you like that? Destructive heresies? What other kind of heresies are there, right? Than destructive heresies. Destructive heresies, even, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, I want you to see the word heresy, and I want to ask you the question, what is a heresy? Um, what is a heresy? A heresy would be a false gospel. To me, a heresy would be something that contradicts the gospel, the core beliefs of our faith. Let me illustrate. Baptists and Presbyterians would disagree about how much water should be used in baptism. Baptists and Presbyterians would disagree on the kind of church government you would have. But they would not call each other heretics because those are secondary issues and they're not gospel issues. But it says here in verse uh, one, that uh, even denying the master who bought them, when people deny that Jesus is God made man, that's a heresy. When people deny that Jesus bought us, that he died on the cross as our substitute to atone for our sins, that he died for us and rose for us, that would be a heresy. That would be a core gospel issue. When people deny that Jesus rose from the grave, when people deny that salvation comes through faith alone and Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, that would be a heresy, okay? It would be a gospel issue. And I shared with you before, but recently I heard a podcast. It was called The Beauty of Heresy. And what it says is all heresies begin with the truth. All heresies begin with the truth. And then they, they enlarge that truth and they deny the other truth. That's why it's important to understand that the gospel has bad news and good news, right? Because a true teacher will emphasize both the bad news and the good news. So many heresies today teach that God is love. That God is love. Is that true? Is it true? Yes, it's true. 
The Bible affirms that God is love, but the Bible also teaches that God is just. And what heresy does is it expounds, it expands that God is love and denies that God is just. And this is not something new. Look at this verse in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, they had false prophets. So notice what the false prophets did in Jeremiah. They heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no sea. Isn't God is love? God wouldn't punish anyone. God is, God is love. And then, and then notice the next verse. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They were doing all kind of things that offend God. Were they ashamed? They certainly were not ashamed, and they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time of their punishment. They shall be brought down, says the Lord. So listen, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus, right? Because Jesus is what? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And if you want to see what God is like, the best place to see what God is like is you look at the cross, because on the cross, God declares that God is just, right? God declares the bad news of the gospel right on the cross, that, that we've sinned, the penalty for sin is death, and we're in big trouble. But on the cross, God declares his love, right? He declares his love that Jesus died so that sinners could be rescued. Isn't that the message of the Bible? For the wages of sin is death? That's the bad news, right? That's the bad news. The good news is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can experience God's grace rather than his wrath if we believe in Jesus, and that's our response, right? <clears throat> Back to 2 Peter. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. If people say God is love and they deny that God is just, Peter is saying, listen, remember the angels, when they sinned, God's justice fell and God didn't give the angels grace like he extends to people. And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. The whole Bible is one story. It's all gospel. The story of Noah is the story of the gospel, isn't it? So it has what? It has bad news, doesn't it? And what's the bad news of Noah? That the world, the world at the time of Noah was filled with a contempt for God. People hated God. The world was filled with immorality. The people were engaged in all kinds of sex outside of marriage, and the people were violent. What does that sound like? Sounds like what? Today. So that was the bad news, that, that there was a contempt for God, there was violence, there was immorality. But the good news was God provided a way. God provided a way for sinners to escape his wrath, and that was the ark, right? That's the ark. The good news is there was a way to escape the wrath that was to come. And then there was our response that Noah, that Noah and, his, and his family, they got on the ark. They believed God, and they got on the ark. And then what happened? And then what happened? The flood fell, right? And if you think God won't punish sin one day, all the people outside the ark, what did they experience? They experienced God's justice, right? But those on the inside, those on the inside experienced God's love, didn't they? And isn't that what the gospel says? For the wages of sin is death. Isn't that what happened to those outside the ark? But, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You know, in Christ Jesus our Lord, those on the inside experienced life, right? 
Peter is saying, consider the angels. Consider Noah. Now he goes on to another example. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember the story? If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, God declared to all the world that he's just. And if he rescued righteous Lot, he also declared that he's loved. He provided a way to escape, right? Oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, and what does the Bible say? The righteous man shall live by faith, that, that Lot was a man of faith, while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day and night by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. You see, Jesus saves, that's the gospel. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Huh. Doesn't that sound like today too, that people what despise authority? The story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, it's the gospel, isn't it? Where's the bad news? The bad news is that Sodom and Gomorrah were filled with immorality. And in particular, there was a militant homosexuality being practiced in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the bad news. The good news is God provided Lot a way to escape. God said, get out. Get out. Judgment is coming. Flee for your lives, right? That was the good news. And we see our response. We see that Lot, Lot and his daughters, they fled, right? And they fled. And then what happened? When the fire fell, what happened? Those in Sodom and Gomorrah, they what? They experienced God's justice and they were destroyed, right? But listen, Lot and his daughters who fled, listen, they experienced God's love and they were delivered. And then we remember Lot's wife and she turned back and she was turned into a pillar of salt, right? Don't we see in Sodom and Gomorrah for the wages of sin is death, don't we, that people experienced what they deserve, but others experienced grace. They experienced the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring in reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of the, those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. The wages of sin is death, right? Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Do you know what happens with sin? It progresses, right? That when people used, what people used to do in the nighttime in our country, now they do in the daytime, don't they? And they have parades to celebrate their rebellion against God. They are stains and blemishes reveling in their deception as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. Don't we live in a culture trained in greed? Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. Having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Peor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Remember Balaam? 
Remember the story? Israel is coming out of Egypt and they're in the desert and the king of Moab sees how Israel is running over all the other nations. So he calls to Balaam, a false prophet, and he says, won't you curse Israel for me? Won't you curse Israel? And, and Balaam says, how can I curse who God blesses? So uh, the king of Moab kept upping the price, upping the price, and, and eventually he had enough money. And so Balaam long before the theologian Pharaoh Fawcett gave the king of Moab the same advice that Pharaoh Fawcett did. You know, Pharaoh Fawcett, she says men's problem is, don't you? See, Pharaoh Fawcett said men's eyes work better than their brains. It's true, isn't it? And that's exactly what Balaam said. What Balaam told uh, the king of Moab is the way you lead Israel astray is through the eyes of men. So send out the good-looking women. And when the good-looking women from Moab went out to the Israelites, the men lost their minds. And they engaged in sex out of marriage. And the women brought them into idolatry. And, um, and the bad news is, listen, the wages of sin is death. And 24,000 Israelites were killed. And the good news of the gospel is that the rest of the Israelites experience God's grace and not his justice. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of his eternal life, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved for speaking out arrogant words of vanity they entice by fleshly desires by sensuality those who barely escape from from the ones who live in error promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption so what do false teachers do they offer people freedom. You don't believe that Bible. You don't want to be restrained by that Bible. They promise freedom, but they bring slavery. You don't want to be bound by what the Bible teaches, how, how sex belongs in marriage. You can be free, you know, but they promise freedom, but what they bring is slavery. Um, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. You know we have a choice. We can be a slave to sin or a slave to Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus is a way, way better master than sin. He really, really is. Isn't that what Jesus taught? Oh, in, in John chapter 8, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, truly I, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the, is the slave of sin, right? So, when we sin, we become slaves of sin. And many of us are slaves to immorality and pornography and alcohol and drugs and pride and the approval of men. Listen, we have sinned against God over and over again. And what we deserve is death. What we deserve is hell for the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. That's what we deserve. And because we're slaves of sin, we cannot save ourselves. That's the bad news of the gospel. Here's the good news, John 8, 35. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus came to save us from our sins because we were slaves to sin. So God the Son put on flesh, came to earth, and lived a perfect life for us, went to the cross, and experienced the, 
the wages of sin, which is death. He experienced what we deserve. He took our sins upon himself, died in our place, experienced hell for us, rose on the third day proving he had conquered sin and death, and he offers us salvation. He offers to free us from sin. He offers to free us from sin's guilt so that we could experience forgiveness. Wouldn't you like to be forgiven? He, he, he promises to free us from sin's power so that we can live new lives. He promises to deliver us from sin's penalty, death, so we can enjoy Jesus today and forever. And what does he require of us? What is the response that the gospel requires of us? It is to believe, isn't it? In Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you surrender to Jesus, if you give up your rebellion and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, that you believe that Christ died and, and rose for you, you'll be saved. You see, believing in Christ, confessing in Christ really is as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and then we believe and then we commit. The A is to admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry and I cannot save myself. And listen, if you've never done that, wouldn't you like to be saved? Won't you admit that now? Or I'd be glad to assist you when we close in prayer. But it starts when we admit, Jesus, you're right. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And then we believe, Jesus, I believe. You died on the cross for my sins. You did it and you rose for me. And then we commit. We commit to Jesus as Savior. That means, Jesus, I'm going to trust what you did for me for eternal life. Not my goodness. I'm going to trust you. Forgive me. Give me eternal life. It means I'm trusting you as Lord. Today I surrender. I want you to move in and be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Um, and if you haven't, won't you? And if you have, I want you to know when Jesus moves in, his intention is not to change one or two things in our life. His intention is to change everything in our lives. He wants to change everything. And that's why he says to us, follow me, follow me. And that's why back in 2 Peter, this is so important. <clears throat> For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. The way Jesus wants to transform our life, the way he wants to transform our lives is by his love. L let me show you this. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, For the love of Christ controls us. I mean, what do you want to be controlled by? Do you want to be controlled by pornography? Do you want to be controlled by alcohol? Do you want to be controlled by drugs? Do you want to be controlled by your selfishness? Or, or, do you want to be controlled by the love of Christ? Is that his love for us? Or is that our love for him? It's, it's both, isn't it? It starts with him and he loves us. And then we love him. Listen, for the love of Christ controls us. How do lives change? By the expulsive power of a new and greater affection. What frees us from sin? Something so much better, right? For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. <laughs> And he died for all. Why? So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. When I met Jesus, man, when I met Jesus, I was held captive by alcohol and drugs and all the self-effort wouldn't help. But I met Jesus and I found something better. I experienced the love of Christ and the expulsive power of a new and greater affection freed me from things self never could. Is that you? 
Do you long to be free from pornography? Do you long to be free from alcohol or drugs? The only thing that can free us is something better, and that's the expulsive power of a new and greater affection. It is the love of Christ. Do you know how I've been married for a long time and how Karen puts up with me? Do you know it's the expulsive power of a new and greater effects and we are controlled by the love of Christ. And since he loves us, he enables us to love each other and to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. Do you want to have a happily imperfect marriage? Then let the love of Christ control you so that you can love one another. Listen, do you long to have a greater boldness in sharing your faith with other people? Do you? What you need is a greater affection that you, when you're overwhelmed by the love of Christ, you're willing to risk the disapproval of man because you already have the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ overflowing that moves us out in boldness to share Christ with others. Hmm. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Oh, that what overcomes all of us is the love of Christ, right? For if, after they have escaped the defilement of the flesh by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy uh, commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Well, wait a minute, Smiley. Wait a minute, Smiley. Is, is, Peter saying, is Peter saying that we can lose our salvation? Now, if that's your question, let me just respond to that. What's your question? Can a person lose their salvation? If you could lose it, the one thing you wouldn't be is what? you wouldn't be what? Saved if you could lose it because then you wouldn't be saved. You, you, you're thinking about probation. Proba you know what probation is, right? You break the law, they sentence you to prison, and then they let you out for good behavior, and you're free as long as what? As long as you behave. But if you misbehave, what? You get thrown back in. You get thrown back in. Listen, salvation is a free gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We never will. We don't keep it. It's a gift to us. So what? What is Peter talking about? I shared with you the gospel includes bad news and good news, right? And our response, our response. Believing in Jesus involves A, B, and C. It means that we admit we're sinners. It means that we believe in Christ, and it means that we commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And what Peter is saying is the church is filled with a mixed people. The church is filled with a mixed people. There are people in a church who have admitted they're sinners and, and say they believe in Jesus, but they've never committed their lives to him as Savior and Lord. And that's why the Bible says, make certain... Make certain of your salvation. Make certain that you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. <laughs> because if you have, you're never letting go. Let me show you that. Uh, people wandering away from the faith is nothing new. In John 6, Jesus said some difficult things. And in John 6, verse 66, notice what it says. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. As our culture becomes increasingly hostile to the Christian faith, we are going to see people that we thought were believers like us who walk away because it's, the price is too high. 
But notice, so Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? I love what Peter said. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Do you know what I did on Friday afternoon? I did a funeral. And do you know something I know? We're all going to die. And, and I know after we die, there's going to come a judgment day. And the only hope I have is Jesus. That's why I'm not letting go. Do you know what religion teaches? Religion teaches that you have to be good to go to heaven. Do you know with religion, I don't stand a chance. My only hope for eternal life is Jesus. Because there's two things I know. Number one is that I am a great sinner. And number two is that I have a great Savior. And listen, I'm hanging on to him, but what gives me far greater assurance than me hanging on to him is what? That he's hanging on to me and he's not going to let go. So, what have we seen so far? We've seen the gospel. That's how we're programming our baloney detector. The gospel has bad news and good news and our response. And it's so important we understand that. It's so important because that's how we're saved, by understanding the bad news and the good news and responding. It's so important we understand that so that we can hear, we can spot false teachers when we're listening to someone. And it's all good news. It's all good, but there's no bad news. We know that's not true. If we're listening to someone and it's all bad, but there's no good... We know it's not true. If people don't say we need to respond to the gospel, it's not true. We need a baloney detector so that we are not led astray. And then also so that we would be able to, to win people to Christ and equip them so that they too wouldn't be led astray by false teaching. So the gospel includes bad news and good news in our response. And and now I want to turn a corner and, and give you what I'd love for you to do as an action step this week. I want you to preach the gospel daily, to preach the gospel daily to yourself first and then to others. Look at this great quote by Dan Allender. Uh, Dan Allender said, if you don't need the gospel more than the people you're sharing it with, you ought not to be sharing it with them. I love that. If you think other people need it and you don't, uh, don't share. No one in here needs the gospel more than I do. I'm always preaching the gospel to myself. I'm having lunch this week with one of our members, and you know what he says, Smiley? Smiley, I have such a hard time overcoming my failures in life, such a hard time. You know what I said? Me too. I said, every night when I go to bed, my failures as a husband and father and pastor and grandfather, they absolutely overwhelm me and I am continually preaching the gospel to myself. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm in you and there's no condemnation. I need the gospel. We all do. That's why we need to preach it over and over again because our hearts need it. Not only do we need it, but listen, when we know the gospel, then we'll be able to uh, not be led astray by false teachers. So here's what I'd love for you to do this week. I'd love for you to take out your Do You Know booklet. If you have one at home, if you don't, pick one up in the lobby. And I want you just to spend two minutes a day. That's how long it'll take you, two or three minutes, and just read it. Just read it to yourself and thank the Lord that, that listen, the gospel has bad news and good news in our response. And I believe if you'll take two or three minutes a day and just read it to yourself, preach it to yourself, listen, you'll be filled with a new love for Jesus Christ that will, that will change your life. It really, really will. 
Read it to yourself. And then as you read it to yourself every day, I think you'll think, man, I've got this friend who really, really needs to hear this. And after you preach it to yourself, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and read it to someone. Just read it to them. Uh, don't worry about converting them. Just read it to them. Uh, I want you to pray and then go to someone and say, would you help me? Just ask someone to help you. And if they say, how? Just say, listen, at church, we're supposed to do this. I'm, I'm supposed to read this to someone. Could I read this to you? And, and if they say no, that's cool. But if they say yes, just read it to them. And you say, well, why? Well, in our church in Boca Raton, there was a lady named Lynn, and her best friend Robin lived next door. And Lynn was actually learning how to share her faith. Robin came over and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm learning how to share my faith. And Robin said, can I help you? And Lynn said, sure. Uh, could I read this to you? And Robin said, okay. And she just read her the gospel. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit showed up, and her life and eternity were changed. Listen, just read it to someone this week. You'll be amazed. You can do it. You can do it. When you take the pressure off, you're just reading it to someone. Will you read it to someone this week? Oh, I think you'll be surprised how much you enjoy it when you share the good news. And then secondly, another way you can preach the gospel this week is we've printed up Christmas Eve invitations. And, and I know some of you will say, well, wait a minute, Smiley. Is good news for personal evangelism or for proclamation evangelism? Which? <laughs> you know what? We're unabashedly pro-evangelism here, right? We want to win people to faith in Christ. Listen, we believe you can share your faith. That's why I want you to go and read it. But we also believe you can be a great inviter. And we're so excited about Christmas Eve this year because the message comes right out of the Bible, which is do not be afraid. People turn on the news every day. What does the news say? What? Be afraid. Be afraid. They get on social media. What does it say? Be afraid. Imagine this week. You're with someone and, and they're talking about being afraid and, and you just pull out your invitation and say, hey, you've got to come on Christmas Eve. You know what the message is? It's do not be afraid. Now, I want you to know some of you are timid. <clears throat> And, uh, and so what I want for you is just to invite one person. That'll be a big step for you, and you can take it. Won't you pray and invite one person this week to come on Christmas Eve? Pick them up in the lobby, okay? You can do it. And some of you are rabid inviters. I don't want to hold you back. You can get 15. You can get 15, and you can invite 15 people because our community is filled with people who love to hear the good news do not be afraid. Do you think anybody would like to hear, do not be afraid, there's a cure for death, and his name is Jesus, and we have an opportunity to bring people to Jesus this time of year. So, what did we learn? Something very important. The gospel includes bad news and good news and our response. And you know what our assignment is this week? Our action step is to preach the gospel. Let's preach it to ourselves, and then let's go and preach the gospel to others. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful you came to free us from sin, from sin's guilt and from sin's power and from sin's penalty. Thank you. Thank you for dying and rising for us and offering us salvation as a free gift and Listen, if, if you'd like this free gift, Jesus is here. Won't you admit to him? Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit? Jesus, I want you to come in and, and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be my Savior. And I want you to be my Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. Oh, 
If you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you and pray for you. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have been saved that this week we would preach the gospel to ourselves each day. And that would fill our hearts with a new love for you that would help us to overcome sin in our life, to love one another, and give us a new love for lost people too. And Lord, I pray as we preach the gospel to ourselves that you would propel us out, that each of us would take the time to read the gospel to one person this week. And Lord, I pray that each of us would invite at least one person to come on Christmas Eve. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.